Good evening. My name is Noelin, and I'll be reading a scripture passage for tonight uh, from Psalm 46. We have copies of the Bible in the pews, the blue Bibles. Feel free to grab one and keep it as a gift to you. Um, again, we'll be reading from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms stutter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nolan. Well, hello, everybody. It is great to be back with you all. And for those of you who may be new joining us for the first time, I know summer often brings some new people in who are moving into the city. A warm welcome to you. My name is Steve, lead pastor here. And uh, simply put, we're all about Jesus and living in light of what he's done and continues to do in us. So it's really good to have you guys here, including the children. It's great to have you guys here as well. And so uh, this summer, we've been working through the Psalms. And as a little bit of a heads up, where we're heading is uh, in a few weeks in September, we're going to transition to the... Book of Hebrews for the fall. So really looking forward to, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Some excitement. Uh, yeah, so looking forward to walking through that with you guys. Um, that should span the fall. That We'll do Advent and then uh, continue Hebrews in the spring. So that'll be good. So uh, a few more Psalms left. So uh, what are the Psalms about? So the reason why we're doing the Psalms is because I want for me and I want for you guys not to have a second-hand relationship with God, where you just read about Him in devotionals, as helpful as that can be, uh, but where you experience God yourself in prayer and in His Word. Uh, because just like, you know, if you have a good friend who's going through a hard time, uh, it, can be, it can be troubling when, you know, they never come to you for help, even though you're ready and willing with open arms, but instead all they're doing is reading Reddit forums and, you know, like mulling things over in their head or sitting in paralysis, you want them to come to you. And so it is with God. He wants us to come to him with, with the real stuff that's going on in our lives. And the Psalms give us the language with which to do that. And so uh, what's Psalm 46 about? Well, Psalm 46 is about, uh, simply put, what do you do in times of uncertainty? Or how do you, do with, how do you deal with fear in times of uncertainty? Uh, because whether you're a Christian or not, all of us want constancy in our lives. All of us want predictability. And one of the places I first saw this the most clearly was as a child when I watched The Lion King. And there's that scene in Lion King where Mufasa, he's disciplining, he's rebuking his son Simba, right, when Simba's just a little cub. And then so they, they, they wrestle it out. And then after they wrestle, Simba's on top of his father. And he says, it's something, maybe you guys know the exact quote better than I do, but basically what he says is he goes, you know, dad, we're pals, right? And his dad goes, yeah, right. And then he goes, we'll, and we'll always be together, right? And in kind of a weird Disney moment, like, Mufasa says no. And, you know, he, he deflects the question by going into the Lion King religion of, you know, look at the stars and so forth. But, you know, like, what Simba is yearning for there, for his father to always be with him, 
I mean, that's something that we all want, right? Like, we all want our most cherished relationships to last. We all want a steady income. We want our health to last. And even if you're a wanderlust kind of personality, you still want those basic things to remain stable. And so what this psalm helps us see is that the people of God should never be defeated nor surprised when uncertainty comes. Uh, Troubled, yes, absolutely. But we should never be ultimately defeated or surprised when uncertainty has come. And so here's the map that Psalm 46 gives us for this. Uh, how do we remain stable and, in fact, even grow during uncertainty? And we see uh, these three things. So first, we, we see we need the refuge of God. Next, we see we need the love of God. And then number three, we need the river of God. So first, number one, we need the refuge of God. We need the love of God. And then we need the river of God. Okay, so first, number one, we need the refuge of God. So let's start in verses 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters were in foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And so first what we see here is an intense realism So notice verse 2, we won't fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. What's more stable than a mountain? Few things are more stable than a mountain, but yet it's moving into the heart of the sea. So what the psalmist is saying here is even the things that you feel like are the most stable in your life can quickly become unstable. I mean, you know, a phone call, a conversation, a doctor's visit, like that can change the course of your life in half a heartbeat. And even just this week, I was reminded of this fact that, like, really nothing stable is um, starting about 10 years ago, uh, I went through a pretty bad case of Lyme disease uh, for four years. And for any of you who have been in the orbit of Lyme disease, you know how debilitating it is. And my case wasn't as bad as some, but there were ER visits and bed rest and just, like, crushing migraines. I was so weak, I could barely do a push-up. And it was horrible. And by God's kindness, for the past five years, I don't have most of those symptoms anymore. Uh, but this past week, I, I woke up and I noticed something red on the inside of my thigh. And so I just like go into the bathroom and I, I look in the mirror. And like one of the signs of Lyme disease potentially is a bullseye rash. And there's a bullseye rash on my thigh. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I am, I am not ready to deal with this. And it made me realize how just in that, how I've been in a lot of ways taking my health for granted over the past five years. And now I don't, I haven't gotten a diagnosis yet, so I don't know what's happening. And there's a few reasons why I don't think it is. So don't worry about, well, if you're even worrying about me, um, <laughs> I don't know. But the point is, is reminding me just how unstable, even as someone in his mid thirties, my health is. And so God in his mercy in this psalm and all throughout the scriptures says, you know, don't be so certain that tomorrow is going to be the same as today. And he doesn't say this because he wants us to become cynics. No, he just wants us to have rightly oriented expectations because when you go about life with this often unexamined premise of as long as I do my part, it should be smooth sailing. When the mountains move into the heart of the sea and the waters start roaring and foaming and a relationship goes by the side or your income gets, you know, what happens? We become self-centered, we become bitter, we become ungrateful, uh, either toward God or other people. And so God just, he wants us to remember what Jesus said in one of his final words to his disciples in John 16. In this world, you're going to have trouble during your short journey here. And so first we see this 
this realism that we need to have, uh, and you need this often before the suffering comes, so you're more stable. But second, what we see is it's not just a it's not being a realist just for the sake of being realist, and God doesn't want us to be cynics, but in the midst of this realism, we see confidence and hope. And we see that in verse 1. So even though it says, well, it says, sorry, verse 2, therefore we won't fear. So why shouldn't we fear? Because of verse 1. Because God is our refuge and strength. God is our very present help in trouble. And so notice he doesn't say God is our help in the midst of whatever else we've made our refuge. So we tend to make other things our refu- refuges, whatever you look for, safety or happiness in the midst of uncertainty. And then we ask God for some helps or some tips along the way. It says, no, God himself is our refuge. You see? And here's why this is so, this was, by the way, this sermon, a lot of sermons are hard to prepare because you realize you yourself are so bad at practicing the very thing that God's saying in his word. And I think the three things that we can distill down, what we tend to put our, what we tend to run to for refuges are either ourselves or relationships or money, right? So yourself, like your industry, your ability to plan or to control, or your looks or your smarts and so forth, right? So that's one, like just I'm going to rely on myself, uh, especially in this cultural moment, which encourages us to do that, uh, and that's okay to an extent. Or number two, relationships, right? So family, friends, romance, or number three, money. Like those are the things we tend to lean into for our refuges and uh, many of you guys are, including me, well, I'm not shrewd, but many of you guys are probably shrewd enough to diversify your portfolio, and so it's like some combination of those three things. You make your refuge, but what the psalmist is saying here is, it's not that those things, you know, you yourself working hard, relationships, money, it's not those things are evil, it's just that they make terrible refuges, because all of them are subject to the shifting winds of so many things that happen in this world. And so it's God that needs to be your refuge because in order for you to go poof, God would have to go poof. And that's not going to happen. And so when troubling comes and you start to get worried, when you start to get fearful or anxious, when uncertainty comes is don't run to the typical recourses of, okay, either I'm just going to you know, barrel down and control things or I'm going to run to escapism. That's another poll. And even, you don't have to feel bad about being worried. You know, like sometimes in the church, there's this message that's explicitly or implicitly preached or just it's in the waters of, of the culture where like if you're worried or anxious, then you must not have enough faith. Sometimes maybe, but I mean, we see people being anxious all the time in the scriptures and God comes alongside them and, and comforts them. And so what God invites you to do when you start to get anxious or fearful about something being threatened is just to run to him. And be real with him about what you're experiencing. And you can pray something to the effect of, you know, God, one of the reasons why I'm so scared is because I've put my refuge in this thing. And that's why I'm so scared that it's going to be taken away. So will you help it not to be so important to me so so that it's not my main thing? And he loves to meet you in that. I mean, just um, a couple weeks ago, Kelsey and I were um, gathering with some people in a living room. And we were in a circle, and uh, Titus was off, like, doing his thing in his own world outside of the circle. And at one point, the conversation stopped, and everybody was looking at Titus because he was doing something cute. And all of a sudden, he looks up, and he realizes he's outside of the circle, and, like, you know, these eight adult faces are staring at him. And, like, his lip starts to tremble because, in, and, like, his face starts to change because he's getting so scared, and he just starts crying. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen my son do that. And 
did I say, oh, Titus, why are, you so, why are you so afraid, man? No, I just, I wanted him to run to me. And he did. You know, he ran to me and I scooped him up and I said, you know, you're so welcome to hear blah, 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 blah. And that's, so it is with God. Like when you're afraid, when you're anxious, his heart goes out to you more. And so the first thing we see here is just through, you know, through prayer, through scripturing, through community, through what we're doing right now is to make God your main refuge and strength and your present help in time of trouble. So that's number one, God is our refuge. What an amazing privilege we have. Next, number two, we need not just a refuge or protection, but we need the love of God. And to understand where the psalmist goes, it's helpful to understand the intense connection between fear and love here. So if you want to know the things that you most cherish, think about the things that you're most afraid to lose. And it's a sobering experiment because often you realize that Jesus may not be at the top of the list. So like when you think about the things that make you anxious or worried or fearful, that's a like a direct homing beacon to what you really love. And yet in 1 John 4.18, there's this passage where it says, there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. And what the scriptures are saying there is, there is something you can cherish or there is a love that is so potent, so dynamic that when you grab a hold of it, you don't have to be afraid. You can't lose it. And it'll be so powerful it'll overwhelm everything else. And how does the psalm point us to that? We see it in verse 7 and verse 11, the God of Jacob. So you can divide up Psalm 46. One way to divide it up is into two stanzas, essentially going through, you know, like enemies at the gate, chaos, turbulence, but we don't need to fear because we have verse 7 and verse 11, the God of Jacob. And so what you should ask is, why does he specify not just God, but the God of Jacob? And here I'm drawing from a pastor named David Biscrove, who's really helpful for helping me understand this. So if you read the story of Jacob, which you can read in Genesis chapter 27 to 32, is you see that Jacob is a poster child for finding his refuge in all the wrong places. And so he believed in God cognitively. He believed God existed, but his heart ran to all these other refuges for his safety and his satisfaction. So he so badly wanted the affirmation of his father that he swindled his brother and lied to his dad to steal the inheritance. He so badly wanted the companionship and the romantic bliss of Rachel that he let Rachel's dad manipulate him for, I think it was 14 years, just so that he could have this relationship with Rachel. Because he was convinced that the affirmation of his father and the beauty of Rachel could be that love that casts out all other, other fear. And then what happens is, is he's on the road traveling, and his brother Esau that he tricked all those years ago is on the other side of the river with an entire army coming after Jacob. And so Jacob does what most of us do and should do when we find ourselves in a bind and we can't do anything to, to prevent something horrible from happening. He just cries out to God, God, help me. And in Genesis 32, there's this wild story. One of you guys brought this up in the question group a couple months ago, but there's this wild story where there's this figure who starts wrestling with Jacob in the middle of the night. And this is a, he's a fearsome opponent, so Jacob's wrestling him. And then at one point in the match, the wrestler reaches out and just touches Jacob's hip, and his hip dislocates. So then he realizes, okay, this is some kind of supernatural being, and he realizes who it is. He realizes it's God, and so what he does is, instead of running or trying to beat the wrestler, he just, he falls down and he clings 
to the, to the man he was wrestling, and he asked him to bless him. And what was Jacob doing there? Because what he was saying when he said, Lord, bless me, is he's saying, I want my cognitive ascent of your existence to move from head knowledge to heart knowledge. Because I've realized that the affirmation of my father and the beauty and romantic bliss of Rachel is powerless to help me in this situation where I need a true refuge. I need a perfect love that casts out fear. And these other things aren't cutting it. And God blesses him. And then Jacob names the place, uh, in Hebrew it translates to the face of God. And he, he says, I named it this place because I've seen the face of God and lived. And the reason he says this is because Jacob is wowed, as we should be, is how is he able to have a, a wrestling match with God? With God. Like, as we sung the, the one who holds the starts together, and walk away with nothing but a limp leg. And the reason was is because, why? Because God made himself intentionally weak. The reason why he took Jacob to the mat wasn't to win or to beat him. It was to save him. Because God's telling Jacob, all these other refuges you've been running to your entire life are nothing compared to the refuge and the love that's always been there. And I'm here for you, even though you're a rascal. I'm still going to bless you and be with you. And so when the people of Israel would read this psalm and sing this psalm, and they would get to verse 7 and verse 11, the God of Jacob, you know, they were a very narrative-driven culture, and so they would, they would rehearse this story of God being merciful to, to Jacob, God coming down in weakness to bless Jacob. And so we as the New Testament people of God, you know, what story do we have that we get to rehearse every single Sunday? Where did God intentionally make himself vulnerable and weak so that he wouldn't beat us or win, but save us? And it's Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, Christ was crucified in weakness. And so when Jesus was crucified, he didn't have a present help in trouble. You know, as the waters were roaring and foaming and the mountains were trembling, uh, we're told in the Gospels that the earth literally shook because as Jesus was shaken, he didn't have a refuge. And then he rose from the dead so that when you and I trust in him, we can have a refuge that will never be shaken and brought into, into a kingdom that we can begin enjoying now and then enjoy for all eternity in its fullness. And so when you have this love of God, when you see God intentionally becoming weak for you, it's not that it makes, you're still going to get anxious this week, I bet. But it makes those things that you worry about become, as one person put it, comparatively inert compared to the love of God in Christ Jesus. So we get the refuge of God that we get to run to, we have the love of God that we get to enjoy, and then finally, number three, we have the river of God. So we see this in verse 4. Notice the tenor of this psalm changes from verse 3 to 4. So chaos, and then all of a sudden verse 4. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And so here is the picture of a city that's under siege. And then you see in verse you know, 5 and 6, there's nations raging, kingdoms tottering. So the city is under siege. But yet the picture is, it's, it's almost as if there's this subterranean river that's like going underneath the enemies that are at the gate and bringing refreshment 
and nourishment and satisfaction to the people that are in the city. And here in the Psalms, it's talking about Zion, Jerusalem, the city of the Old Testament people of God. But the New Testament talks about Zion in the Old Testament as it was a real historical time and place, still is. Um, but in the Old Testament, it was, a, it was a type of the New Testament people of God, uh, which the New Testament talks about. It's essentially the, the new heavenly community indwelled, God, indwelled by God's Spirit. Because when Jesus came in John chapter 2, he says, I'm the new temple. The Old Testament, they had the temple uh, in Jerusalem where God would dwell. But now through Christ, anywhere you have the people of God dwelling, you have a heavenly city or an outpost of the city of God. And so wherever the church gathers, we have this city. And here, this image is so rich. I'm still trying to like put words to it and live it out myself. But what this idea is, is painting for us is, so in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talks about when we receive Jesus, um, in, in verse 13 and 14, I believe it is, it says, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, who's the down payment of our inheritance. Meaning when you trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and the very power of God that's going to renew the cosmos and the new earth, that's our inheritance, right? Jesus Christ and the new earth. It, it, he comes into your life now, meaning what we have in Christ and as a people, and we'll see why this isn't just philosophical in a second. It's not just hope for the future. It's hope from the future that comes into the present. That's amazing. Like the power of God who's renewing the world actually comes into your life personally and us as a community in the present. And it's this river that comes in, so to speak, into our sin-cursed parts world to bring us blessing from the future into the present. And so what are some ways that changes us as a community? Um, just to try to make this uh, a little bit more uh, I know some of you guys are already good, like you've got it, but others of us, you know, like things that are a lot more concrete. Like, what are some ways that it looks like for us to have this river that makes glad the city of God? And so, uh, first let's talk kind of very broadly, and how does this, how does this impact our relationship with the world? So see verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, where verse 8, it says, come behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations. Verse 10, be still and know that I'm God, I'm exalted among the nations. The Lord of hosts is with us. So usually these verses, you know, be still and know that I'm God, are kind of understood in the, in, the, in the context of, you know, you just need to get away and be still and be by yourself and have this moment of repose. And, and that isn't untrue, but the context of this psalm is war is happening, and this is God more speaking to his enemies than the church. So he's looking at the enemies of God, which is all of us before we're saved in Christ Jesus, and he's essentially saying, will you stop fighting like, will you lay down your weapons? Will you stop living as your own God and master and come to me? Because he's saying, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In other words, the end of the story is there's only going to be one king, one Lord, and it's going to be me. And this is good news. And so, I mean, to the proud, this makes you bristle. But to the humble, this is the sweetest news in the world because it, it means we know the end of the story. I mean, imagine if 20 years ago you knew what Amazon was going to do. You would invest a lot in Amazon, and even amidst all the ups and downs of, of the stock, like you could have confidence because you would know where it was going to be today. We know the end of the story, that God will be exalted, and so we can have confidence today. And so how does that impact our relationship with the world? Because Israel is meant to be a light to the nations, and so is the New Testament church to be a light to the nations. And 
There are a number of ways we could go uh, with this, but um, recently I've been reading a book called uh, A Failure of Nerve by Edward Friedman, and it's a book on leadership, and he's a Jewish rabbi who has done a lot of family counseling. And he talks about when he, you know, counsels families, and he's also just, he's looked a lot into systems in general, so corporate systems, nationwide systems, family systems, and he says, anytime you have a toxic system, you know, be it in a company, a corporation, or a family, and of course it's extremely complex, but what he has found is often more than getting the family together and teaching them, you know, communication tactics, as important as that is, or okay, let's look back 30 years, what happened in the past that brought us, as important as these things are, he said, the thing that I found the most helpful is if there can be someone, even if it's not the dad or the mom, it, it could be a son, it could be a daughter, who can be, and this is what he's, who can be the non-anxious presence in the system, that's what helps bring healing to everybody. Because they're connected to what's going on, but they're also not so, but they're also separated so that they have, they have a little bit of distance, right? And they're able to not be so uptight, like they're able to confront those around them that they love because they're not worried about being, you know, cast out in the moment or anything like that. And over time, a lot of the counseling just works itself out in the home, in the relationships, and over time, things begin to heal. And so as we think about us as the people of God who have confidence in where the world is going, I mean, you could call our nation right now a very anxious, <laughs> toxic system in a lot of ways. And so I, I, I just, I want to keep this broad. In an age where, um, you know, in the age of Twitter and social media where everybody's always reacting and, and just throwing out all these things, like what would it look like for you in your workplace, the things you post on social media, in your family, because you know the end of the story and you have this power coming into you from the future through the Holy Spirit to be a non-anxious presence, it doesn't mean you don't, it doesn't mean you become passive, right? But you don't have to adopt the tone that other folks have. You don't have to adopt the us versus them posture that often happens. You don't, you can actually use rationality and nuance and empathy in your conversations. And that's one of the best ways that us as a church and us as individual people can, can help, you know, as, as we're called to, to reach those who are outside of our walls because we know the end of the story. Number two, what, what is this river whose streams make glad the city of God? Uh, how does that impact, how does this impact our church? Like, what does it look like to be the church when we have these rivers of God making our, you know, our little city, our little community, you know, here happy? And there's this podcast I've been listening to. I, I highly commend it to you by uh, two men, uh, Ray Ortland and Sam Albury. They're refreshing voices to listen to in the church world. And Sam Albury, he used to work as a pastor, and he said, you know, Back when I was a pastor, there was this woman I didn't see at church for, I think it was a couple months. And so when she returned, he, he asked her, he said, oh, you know, I haven't seen you, Lord, I've missed you, where have you been? And he said, what she said was, yeah, you know, I've just been going through a really hard time, and I had to make myself better before I could return to church. And Sam said it, it broke his heart. And she wasn't saying it to complain, she was just saying it as just a factual, this is how things are. Because what he was saying is, well, A, what does that mean as a leader? Like, what's the kind of culture I've been cultivating? Because church should be the place where when you feel weak or when you feel ashamed of something you've done or you're doing, like, church should be the place that you hurry to. You know, the place that you're relieved to go. 
And so for us as a community, and, and honestly, I don't know, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think we're on a pretty good track here, but we can always, do, myself included, uh, do a much better job. It was you think about one for yourself when, when you're hurting. Is church, and I realize this can be complicated, is church the place you run to? Or do you feel resistance and why or why not? And talk about that with your community. Um, but I think often more importantly is how can you be, be the kind of person that creates a culture where when someone's hurting, like them coming here or coming to community group or discipleship or just hanging out at a restaurant is the place they want to run to because they know, yes, we're going to speak truth in one another's lives because that's how we grow. Uh, but even more than that, you're, we're always going to be welcome, welcomed and welcoming with open arms. And then lastly and finally, uh, because there is a corporate element, but there is a personal element too. Um, notice verse 1, God is a very present help in trouble. And, uh, you know, John and I were meeting this week, and we were talking about how often, I think as believers, we can think about what Christ has done in the past uh, through his life, death, and resurrection, extremely important, uh, you know, and in the future what he's going to do. But we often neglect what he's doing right now in our midst. And so just a question for you is, do you see God as a, a present help for you today? A refuge and a perfect love that drives out love for you today. And an example here that we see, and then, because I don't really know how else to, to illustrate it, we'll just read it and then we'll close, is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, the Apostle Paul, he's at the end of his life. And it's a really sad letter because Paul has fought really hard in this battle against false teachers and to love people. And essentially, he lost that battle. And everyone has abandoned him. And now he's going to die, you know, for serving the Lord. And in verse 16, you know, this is how he ends the letter. At my first offense, when he was on trial, at my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. That's amazing. That's a different sermon. But in my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. And then see what he says in verse 17. But who? But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And then he continues in verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Paul, see, because Paul, like Jacob, knew that he didn't deserve mercy, but yet when Jesus met him on the road as Paul was on his way to kill Christians, Jesus extended him mercy and he said, I'm going to use you to bring my gospel to the nations. And Paul could never get over that. And so the refuge of God, the love of God, it was so real to him that in these final moments of his, of his life, he's not complaining, although he had a lot to complain about. He just says, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And I know he'll rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. And you know, Paul wasn't a superhuman. I mean, he didn't have access to any resources that you and I don't have. Uh, but just through everything that we've been talking about, running to God is his refuge. Knowing that he deserved judgment, but instead received a love that drove out all their kinds of fear. And that he had the future blessing of God as a river coming into his presence. He could actually feel the Lord strengthening him when otherwise people would have said, you're all alone. And so let's pray for that for ourselves and help, help one another and encourage one another in this way as well as we move forward. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are a refuge and strength and a very present help 
in times of trouble. And all I, all I want to pray for in this closing prayer is for anybody who is feeling frightened or who's feeling alone that uh, they will experience through your community, through your spirit, um, just your promises, Lord, uh, that you are by them and you are strengthening them and that Jesus Christ himself lost his refuge so that they can have one and help them to cling to that hope uh, even if it feels like a very distant hope this evening. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.